Will you pray with me? God, you are our king, and you are the king of endless worth. And we want to bring you something that's of worth, something, Lord, that will bless your heart. We want to worship you, Lord, with more than a song, more than a sermon. If we could, Lord, today, we would worship you with our lives. We would give you our lives as living sacrifices, Lord. We would get on the altar And somehow, Lord, we would stay in your presence today. That is our heart's desire. And in worshiping you, Lord, to discover that you're the only one who can evacuate our emptiness. You're the only one who can fill this room. But, Lord, it's not enough to fill this room. Would you fill us? Would you empty us of all our emptiness and fill us with all of your fullness until, Lord, we overflow with the joy that you alone can give? Lord, would you restore our joy Some of us have lost that, Lord, and we just want you today to fill us with your joy again, that we might rejoice in you. Lord, we have tried to rejoice in other things, and they have left us empty, but today, God, we see who we have in you. And seeing you, Lord, we discover that you are everything in this world that we need. And earth has nothing we desire compared to you, because nothing compares to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, Dave. Okay, am I the only one who's curious? Is it Jess okay? I mean, she's not at the hospital or anything. Okay, I'm just checking. We're getting close, and so I need to know. I feel like with all of our young staff members, I'm going to be a grandpa. You know, I mean, it's just exciting. And uh, they're doing their part to grow our church. I just want you to know that. They are doing their part. Are you doing your part? Because they're doing their part. What a great day. What a great day. So... Um, I read this week that uh, they found Noah's Ark again. Did you see that? I mean, they'd, I, I know they found it several times in my lifetime because I've been reading those, you know, those, uh, when I go through the, the line at the grocery store, they have found Noah's Ark several times in my lifetime. But this time it sounds like, you know, it's kind of a national treasure thing or an Indiana Jones kind of adventure. I'm just curious, just a little poll this week because I was discussing this with our daughter. I mean, which is better, national treasure or Indiana Jones? How many think national treasure is better? Yeah. How many think Indiana Jones is like way, way, way better? Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Just checking. So Indiana Jones uh, kind of adventure. They find Noah's Ark. And I was thinking, what if it really is? I mean, what would they do, like a DNA test? And what's Noah's DNA? I mean, I don't know. But if they could go back and prove that it was Noah's Ark, how would that measurably affect the way that you live your life this week? I mean, would you sort of reschedule the family vacation and say, no, we're going to Mount Ararat? We're going to Turkey, and we're going to go climb 14,000 feet and see Noah's Ark. If there really were a Noah's Ark, would you get in it? Because the real point of that story, as I understand it, is not whether or not we can find the historical evidence. It sort of served its purpose, didn't it? But the real question I think we've got to answer is, how do we, like Noah, take our families with us on the journey of discipleship? And I'm committing the next eight weeks of my life to prayerfully think about that with you. How do we make disciples in our homes? Would you open your Bibles with me this morning? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. This might be, if you're looking for a new passage to memorize together as a family, I think this is a a good one. In fact, uh, you will discover uh, among the Orthodox Jews in our world that this is a passage that they pray Every morning, 
Every morning they say these words. So it's good for us this morning to say these words. Would you stand with me as we read God's word? Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. This is called the Shema for the first word. Hebrew for hear. Shema, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up, tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Took them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. Read Deuteronomy chapter 1. It took them 40 years to make an 11-day journey. And if you ever took 40 years to make an 11-day journey, you know, just imagine how many times the kids would say, are we there yet? 40 years to make an 11-day journey. Wouldn't you decide, I will never do this again? You know, sort of after we... uh, ran from Rita and the 17 hours on the road, I remember thinking, I will never do this again. Well, how do you avoid it? I mean, one generation has chosen not to follow the Lord, and they have died in the desert, and now their kids are standing there, and their kids have kids. And Moses looks at them in the first of three sermons that comprise the book of Deuteronomy and said, Okay, let's get this right this time. Let's put first things first. There is only one God, and His name is the Lord. And your worship, if you choose to worship, your worship is to love Him. To love Him above everything else. To love Him with all that you are. To love Him All the time, your worship is to love him. And I know you may be thinking, yeah, well, that's Deuteronomy and that's Old Testament. And I just want you to remember in Matthew 22, when the sort of who's who of the religious leaders decided they were going to stump Jesus or at least try to, the Sadducees fail. And then in verse 34, Matthew 22, the Pharisees step up to the plate and they say, so which is the greatest commandment? And Jesus goes right back here right back to Deuteronomy chapter 6 and says, yeah, love God. Love him with all your heart, with all your soul. Jesus adds to it the thought, love him with all your mind. Love him. And in both Deuteronomy and in Matthew, the key word is all. Love God. Love him above all. Love him with all you are. Love him all the time. And I want to invite us to see today that the primary institution that God has established on this earth for the discipleship of families is not the church. It pains me as a pastor to say that. We're not as important as we may think we are. But our work is to equip you to create disciples in your own homes. I've said it before. Can I say it again? You cannot make disciples without being a disciple. And a disciple is a learner. 
one who learns, not just knowledge, not just information, not just Bible trivia, but one who learns to know God, who walks with God enough to become like God, to become transformed in his image. And when we become disciples, then we can make disciples. And the right place for us to start doing that is in our homes. And how do we do that? Well, we've talked about being a wise church, worship, instruction, serving, and evangelism. We make disciples by worshiping, instructing, by serving, by evangelizing. What if we just sort of apply those thoughts, just start today and say, making disciples begins with worship. We were created to love God and enjoy Him forever. And we could talk about all kinds of worship and what, what kind of music we would use and, and where we would begin to read and which children's Bible we ought to read with our children. But just start here. Love God. Love God above everything else in the world. Love Him exclusively. That's what verse 4 is really about. We, we look at that and say, what's that about? Well, he's going back and he's sort of explaining the Ten Commandments here. And what he says is, the Lord our God is one. Or another way of reading that is, There is only one Lord, and He is our Lord. Every other nation around us has its gods, Israel could say, but there's only one Lord, so worship Him only. If there's only one, if He is the only Lord, then doesn't it make sense that He would be the only one that we would worship? And we may say, uh, we've gotten way beyond idolatry, but the truth is, idolatry is never very far from our hearts. There's a reason why that's the first commandment. Because the temptation for us is to fall into it again. I was reading this week, just reading in the scriptures, reading in the message, and I, I came to this passage, and it, it, it simply said, their casual idolatry is lethal. It's our casual idolatry that, that is lethal to us. It's the challenge of our lives to love God supremely above everything else. And we might just start with ourselves and say, we've got to love God more than we love ourselves. Because I suspect that's the first temptation to idolatry is to sort of become self-absorbed, to be consumed with self. As, as uh, Shakespeare put in the mouth of Polonius in, in Hamlet, uh, above all else, to thine own self be true. And then it must follow as night follows day that you will not be untrue to others. But above all else, to your own self be true. It it sounds right. I know there have been songs, popular songs in my adulthood that say the greatest love of all is to love yourself. And I believe that when we love God completely, then we can love ourselves correctly and we can love others compassionately. But it has to start with love for God because if I don't love Him completely, if I don't love Him exclusively above everything else, then I'm tempted to love myself and things more than I love Him. And God has called us to more than that, to love God above even ourselves I saw them interview Larry King. They sort of turned the tables on him recently and said, why are you such a great interviewer? And he said, well, it's because I'm curious and because I'm sincere and because I genuinely care about people and because I, I, listen to this, I never use the word I. I don't speak of ego. I, I check my ego at the door. And in explaining how selfless he was, he used the word I six times in that little dialogue. I counted. <laughs> Not because he's not a good interviewer, because he is, but just to say, even in our best efforts to appear selfless, we can be amazingly selfish. We can be self 
centered. And the way that translates into our families is we begin to sort of live vicariously through our kids and they're going to not experience the bad things we experienced and, and they're going to they're gonna enjoy things that we never enjoyed. And from the minute they're born, we look into their eyes and we're like, this is what life is all about. And at some point in the journey, they may begin to believe that and think, that's right, I'm what this life is all about. And narcissism, just as in the legend of Narcissus, narcissism is lethal. It'll kill you to be self-centered or to be focused on stuff, on things in this world. That, that'll, that'll kill you as well. I, th- I think about uh, Jacob in Genesis chapter 35 when he decides to go back to Bethel. He started out at Bethel worshiping God, setting up. Remember, he sees a vision of angels ascending and descending on the ladder and he sets that up as a place of worship. He changes the name from Luz to Bethel. This is the house of God. You are awesome in this place. And then he goes and does what he wants to do for a period of time. He's made promises to God. And when he comes back to Bethel, remember what he says in Genesis chapter 35? He says to his family, get rid of every idol. Get rid of every idol. And you say, well, how had Jacob's family have idols? How does Jacob's family? Well, remember Rachel stole her dad's idols and took them with her. And hid them from her dad. And he buries them under a tree. Because they're never going to pick up those idols again. Life is not about the accumulation of stuff. I read a book this week uh, called The Story of Stuff. Basically the writer of the book says, you know, the truth is we comprise, Americans comprise about 5% of the world's population. We consume about 30% of its consumable goods and we create more than 30% of its toxic waste. And I was just reading this book and thinking, yeah, stuff really is toxic. It's toxic for your soul because we can begin to think this is what life is about. There's an emptiness in that. We're working through this uh, with some family members now as we're placing them in uh, in. Uh, places of care and uh, what, we've got to figure, what do we do with the stuff? <laughs> what do we do with all the stuff? Because the stuff is just, it just mounts up, doesn't it? And we have storage units all around the world to, to hold all of our stuff because we can't even contain it all anymore. We could worship the sensual, what, what feels good to me. I mean, you, you can live your life that way. Can I just tell you what an empty life that is? To say, whatever feels good to me, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, Wow. It is hard to imagine a life more empty than that. May God evacuate that emptiness from our lives by filling us with the fullness of who he is. And here's what I learned from the book of Deuteronomy. Here's what I learned from this. It's not about just, well, we got to get rid of all the bad things. The pastor said we got to get rid of all the bad things in our houses, in our rooms. We just got to get rid. No, if we could fill our homes with love of God, we would discover there's not room for all these other things. And some of the desires that we're trying to fill with stuff and and sensual things, all these things would sort of be, they would become lesser in importance because we would be so consumed with God. We'd be so filled with Him. We can even, there are statistics that say that we sometimes even place our families. They asked um, like a thousand adults back in 2007, Barna did, um, what is the most important relationship in your life? I think like 29 or 30% of the people who answered it were Christians. This is interesting. They asked a thousand adults, what's the most important relationship? And fully 70% of them said, relationships with my family are more important to me than relationship with God. 
You look at that and go, well, important relationships with family are very important. They're very important. I mean, 33% said their family unit and 22% said their spouse and I don't know, 17% or something said their kids or 3% said their parents were more important than them. More important than God. Here's, here's what C.S. Lewis said. When we love God more than we love our earthly best, the people we love the most, when we love God more than we love the people in this world, then we'll love the people in this world more than we've ever loved them before because we'll have the priorities Right. I just want to show you the primacy of worship, that God comes first above all else. Love him above all else. Then he says, love him with all you are. The key word there, whether you're reading Deuteronomy or Matthew, is all. Love him with all, with all your heart. And we think, oh, the heart's the center of emotion. You know, I love you with all my heart. Here's the key to my heart, my heart. No, heart in the Old Testament is the place not of emotion, but of volition. It's the place where you make decisions. He says, these things are to be upon your hearts. Why? Because the heart's where you make your choices. Love with, love with all your soul, he says. And we make soul sort of this wispy, ethereal thing that leaves our body when we die because that's a very Greek way of thinking of things. But if you look in the Hebrew, what you discover is the Hebrews were right. They understood our lives not as you know, body, soul, spirit that are separable, um, but rather we're one whole person. Let me just put it this way. You don't have a soul you are a soul. The soul is who you are. All that you know of who you are, that's your soul. Your soul is the part of you, if you read in the, in the Hebrew, the soul is the part of you that has an appetite that hungers for things. Your soul is the part of you that breathes. So you, you, whatever breathes, whatever you hunger for, your whole self, love God with all of that. I, I got to do a wedding. I do a lot of weddings this time of year. It's a good time to think about family in a sermon series, isn't it? Because, I mean, so many families are being created right now. And, and uh, I just um, read this poem, as I sometimes do in, in weddings, but Elizabeth Browning writes, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being an ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight, I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with a passion put to use in my old griefs and with my childhood's faith. I love thee with a love I seem to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. And I read that this week and I asked myself this question. Do I love anybody like that? I mean, those are beautiful words. They're sort of lofty ideals, inspiring thoughts. And I thought, do I love anybody like that? And then the second thought, here it is. Can I ask you, why not God? Why not love God with a love that consumes our whole hearts, our whole souls? He says, with all your strength, the ancient rabbis and the Talmudic uh, sort of interpretation said this idea of loving God with all your strength was basically with everything you have, including your possessions, everything you have. God, love God with all of that. Do we love anybody with that sort of consuming kind of all heart, all soul, all strength kind of love? I think about the rich young ruler who goes away sad. And that what Jesus was saying to him, you've kept all the commandments. Now, love God with all your possessions. He goes, I couldn't do that. There's no way I could do that. And he goes away sad. Ann Spangler and Lois Tverberg have written a book called Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus in which they sort of explore the Hebrew implications of Jesus' life. It's an interesting book. To do their research, they traveled to Israel. They flew on El Al 
airline. Some of you have been on El Al, and the Orthodox Jews prefer that airline, and so they're flying on El Al, and she notices, um, Anne notices this Orthodox Jewish man three rows in front of her, and he is wrapping leather around his arm, and he has this little box, and it contains the Shema. These tiny scrolls of Scripture are con- contained in this box. You've seen people with their phylacteries, tephilim, they're called today. People put on their heads, the Orthodox Jews. And, and she said, as I, was, as I was flying, I looked behind me, and there was a young woman, and every moment she was awake, she was reading the Scriptures. And then she would, have you heard of davening? Have you seen people do this? She was rocking as she prayed. She asked a rabbi in Israel, what's that about? The rabbi said when she's praying like that, she's praying with all her strength and it's like a flickering flame. Can you see that? Because the candlestick of God is the soul of a human being. I'm not advocating we return to Orthodox Judaism. Not my point at all. Here's my point. I want to love God with all. And you sense sometimes with some people that worship is all-consuming, that it's not perfunctory, that it's not just going through the motions, but they're all in. And I'm inviting us in our homes to love God with all that we are so that all who enter our home know that we love God with all that we are. My friend Carl Feiler, who sits right up in here in the 1015 service, he tells me growing up in Germany, he had these family members who were Anabaptists. He said, what does that mean? And I explained to him the radical reformation beyond Calvin and Zwingli and, and Luther. There were these radical reformers who became sort of the, the spiritual fathers of the Mennonites and the Hutterites and uh, the Shakers and all of these groups of Anabaptist radical reformers who had this crazy idea that you needed to be baptized when you became a Christian. And um, they sort of were forefathers on the continent of that. And he was telling me about it and he said, it was the strangest thing. When we would enter their house, you could feel the peace of God in their home. And he said their Bible was not ornamental, but it was always open they're sitting on their coffee table and the people would, would read it and we would see them reading the scripture and they weren't even in church. And they were reading the Bible. And it became a place where he felt a spiritual sense of refuge that he could always go there and sense the presence of God. And when he told me that story, I thought, man, I want, don't you want your house to be like that? Where people who don't even know you, you know, the endless solicitors who come to the door that if they walked in your house, they would say, wow, there's something different here. God is here. Because they would see that the people in your house love God above everything else and love God with all that you are and finally love God all the time. I mean, isn't that the point when he says when you lie down at night and when you rise up at nighttime in the morning, that was sort of the Jewish order of the day, night to, to morning. And then... When you're walking along the road, when you, you know, when you're walking along the road, when you, when you sit down, you're always loving God. The point is that there's no point of time in our lives when we're not loving God. You say, well, I can't love God all the time. Like when I'm eating, can I love God? Absolutely. I mean, um, I was with some friends this week and we went down to Minute Maid Park and we went to the diamond boxes. And I'm telling you, I was just loving God. I'm sincere in saying this because it's just this feast. And I'm thinking this is just a blessing from God. I didn't earn this. This is grace. This was given to me. And I'm just, and I was grateful for the food. And we can be grateful when we pour our cereal in the morning. 
We can be grateful for everything God gives us. We can be grateful. We can sort of fill our lives as, as, though, as though we could waste time without damaging eternity. As though you and I could some way waste time without it affecting our eternity. That's why we sing, take my moments and my days, let them flow in ceaseless praise. Let there never be a moment in my life when I am not loving you first and best in my life all the time. And here's what I notice when we fill our time with the things of God. We have less time for mischief. The ancients used to say idle hands are the devil's workshop. I have found that to be true in my own life. That if I'm busy with the things of God, I'm not busy with things that disappoint God. And I challenge us just to hide God's word in our hearts as our children are going to sing to us tonight. Hide God's word in our hearts so that we will not sin against God. Because God has called us to this. He has created us for this so that we would love him above all else. That we would love him with all that we are. That we would love him all the time. So that our houses would become houses of worship. Every bit as much as this building, this room is. And even more because we spend more time there. Some friends of mine used to be members of a church, McLean Bible Church in Washington, D.C. area. The pastor there, Lon Solomon, was raised in a Jewish home. They went to, to a synagogue. They went through that. But there came a point in his life when he became very rebellious and he walked away from everything he knew. And when he talked about how a street evangelist led him to Christ, and to his knowledge, he's the only person that guy ever led to Jesus. The guy was so obnoxious that he just ran people away. But somehow he reached Lon Solomon with the gospel. And Lon had this interesting sort of testimony. He said really for him, the beginning of spirituality, he really didn't get relationship with God from the synagogue and even from the practice of Judaism in his home. Just honestly, he said, I never got relationship with God in that way. But he said, there was this lady who cleaned our house. This amazing lady who was always, she was our housekeeper. She was always in our house and she was always singing hymns. She was a Christian and she was always singing hymns of praise to God. And she was always praying. She would pray out loud as she walked, as she cleaned the house. As she did what she did, she would talk out loud to God. She would talk to God about me, Lon said. She would pray for me. And she would sing hymns of praise. And I, I knew as I went through this period of rebellion and there came that moment when I came to God in relationship with Him that I realized that lady was worshiping God in my home. And she was turning my house into a house of worship because wherever she was, she was worshiping. And because she loved God so much, I came to the place in my life when I loved God. And I heard that story and I thought... I want to love God like that. Don't you want to love him like that? Above everything else, with all that you are, all the time. And turn your house into a house of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your presence in this place. You are awesome in this place, God. This is none other than the house of God. Father, we stand in awe of you and we pray today, God, that you would reveal to us the greatness of your love so that we might love you in return. God, don't let us ever stop loving you. And if we confess together today that our hearts have grown cold, that 
There was a time when we loved you more, Lord. I pray today that today again we would love you most and best. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.